It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for another Thursday's edition, which, of course, is the day uh, we have the pleasure of entertaining uh, your questions. And uh, they're fantastic questions and they're thought provoking. And uh, I'll learn a lot more trying to answer them, I think, um, than you'll probably do, do listening to my answers. But nonetheless, thank you for listening. And with that, we will turn it over to Mary Langston and see what's in store this week. Hey, Trey, how are you doing? I have no complaints. Thank you for asking. How about you? Doing great. Thank you for having me. Have you been watching any of the tennis that's been played? I have not because Roger Federer is not playing and I don't care. And the um, I do care about Serena and mm. I pull for, I think she's from Great Britain. I'm not sure. First name is Emma. Mm. She lost in the first round, so uh, my uh, interest went from a little bit to none. If Serena keeps winning, I'll probably start watching again. But until Federer comes back from, what, his eighth knee surgery, I'll be forced to watch reruns of last year's college football games until, <laughs> until football starts back. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I watched Serena. It was pretty incredible. There was a really cool picture of her – really young wearing like white beads in her hair. And then it had a picture beside it from the other day where she had the diamonds and it said from beads to diamonds. And I thought that was pretty cool, but yeah, I'm a Federer fan and totally respect your decision not to watch. Uh, I like uh, Coco. Is it golf? Um, yes. I think that's how you say it. Yes, sir. I like her. I don't know. I liked folks from, yeah, I mean, just like other sports. You know, I like Nicholas. Nicholas isn't playing anymore. I liked Connors, although my dad did not. And Connors probably was not. Jimmy Connors probably was not the best example for mm. people on the tennis court. That might be more uh, Bjorn Borg. But I really, really like Federer. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know who I'm going to pull for, if anyone, at this stage. But I probably will watch it when he gets to the semis, I guess. I'll probably watch it. Well, that sounds good. Me too. Hopefully Federer will be playing again soon. Uh, he will be. It'll be on the senior circuit. Well, hopefully we'll see him on the court soon. But I wanted to ask you that, Trey. So thank you for answering. You're very welcome. Is that those all the questions for the week? <laughs> I know I threw those in. I apologize. I know that those do. aren't those. Th that's not a tough one. <laughs> that, I, I was I was, you know, mentally prepared for maybe other ones that I'd have to think about. But no, that that one, <laughs> Serena. Uh, the young woman from Great Britain, whose last name Radicanu, maybe I'm not sure. Mm, I'm not but sure I how to say it. Read that she lost her opening round match, so my interest dwindled a little bit. 
Well, I completely understand. Well, we have a lot of great questions today. I'm super grateful for the questions that we do get. They're always fantastic. So I guess we better get started, Trey. So we'll go with our, sounds great. We'll go with our first question is from Dayton and he writes, I'm a current law student at University of North Dakota. I've been fascinated by your previous arguments in Congress and I'm seeking advice in succeeding in law school from you. Well, thank you, Dayton. I've never been called fascinating before in my life. I've <laughs> it's been very called sweet. boring and simple-minded, but not fascinating. Mm. Uh, to succeed in law school is a little different from succeeding after law school. So I'll try to divide them up. And you have to kind of define what you mean by succeeding. There's a reason we say those who make A's in law school become professors. Those who make B's in law school become judges. And those who make C's in law school become millionaires. Uh, To succeed in law school, you have to train your mind to think critically and spot issues and be really analytical in how you apply the facts to the law and understand why the law is what it is and look for distinctions that make a difference versus those which do not. Law school is a ton of reading and a ton of thinking. It's really what I tell young people. It, it's analytical. It's, it's critical reasoning. It's issue spotting. I remember our first year property exam was passed out. This is a 100% true story. Sitting in the classroom, pass out the first year property exam. I look at it and I literally came within like a nanosecond of raising my hand and saying, uh, Professor Burkhart, I, I think you passed out the wrong exam because mm-hmm. I'm looking at it and it has absolutely nothing to do with property. I think I probably looked over there at now Judge Marvin Quattlebaum on the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, who was a classmate of mine and mm-hmm. a dear friend. And Quattlebaum didn't seem quite as vexed as I did by it. But literally, this exam to me had nothing to do with property. Nothing at all. So I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, I want to up doing fine uh, on it, but they want you to spot issues and think. They literally want to see your mind working. That's how you succeed in law school. Succeeding after law school is part of that, but it's, you, you also have to have soft skills. You have to have a winsome personality, particularly with your clients. If you're a trial lawyer, you have to be persuasive in front of a jury. You have to convince people. And that doesn't always depend on how much you know. It depends on how well you communicate what you do know. So to be successful in law school, Dayton, um, you just got to keep asking why. Why is this so? Um, And then, you know, follow that up with how do you know that? If, you know someone says something in law school, you you need to question, you know, whether it's true, whether it's totally true. How do you know it's true? Is it going to be true tomorrow? Law school is unlike any other part of life. And you're not going to learn a ton of law in law school, quite honestly. You know, people used to stop me when I was in law school and ask me about wills or I still couldn't draw a will to this day. I have no idea how to do it. It's about how to think. And then once you get out of law school, it's about how to communicate and persuade. So if you want to be successful, you got to figure out how to acquire both of those skill sets. Um, and, but they're very different types of skill sets. If I had to do it all over again, I was back in law school. 
Yeah, I had no one, no lawyers in my family to tell me what to prepare for. It's not memorization. It's not like learning the, you know, state capitals. Mm-hmm. If you put enough time in it, you can do it. It's memorization. That is not what law school is. It is thinking critically. Some people are born like that and others have to train their minds. And then some people never let go of the life is black and white. Um, If you don't see gray, you're probably not going to succeed in law school. Well, thank you. And best wishes to you, Dayton, as you go into law. Our next question is from Travis in Indiana. He Actually, go to med school, Dayton. If it's not too late, drop out and go to med school. (laughs) Or that. You could do both, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Well, our next question is from Travis in Indiana. He writes, what do you think about the Live Golf Tour? Well, Travis, it's one of those situations in life where I don't like it, but I can't really tell you why. I mean, I understand the arguments about free markets and competition and, and all of that. I, I really do. I understand the arguments, but I also, yeah, I mean, I sympathize with the golfers who, you know, unlike most other professional athletes, they're not guaranteed of anything. You can actually lose money playing in a golf tournament. You can miss the cut. You got all your travel expenses. You still have to pay your caddy. You pay your hotel room. You pay your travel cost. And if you miss the cut, you get nothing. So I do understand that. I just like better the idea of the best players playing against the best players and playing for history and playing for titles. And, you know, Scotty Scheffler had a big league going into Sunday in a tournament where the winner made $18 million mm-hmm. in one tournament. I mean, Rory McIlroy wound up winning, but – and, you know, Scheffler had to be disappointed. I mean, that's a big lead. He didn't choke. Anybody who tells you he choked doesn't know anything about golf. Um, he didn't probably have his best stuff, but Rory McIlroy played really well. And afterwards, Scheffler said, I don't play golf for money. I, I play because I love it. And I play because I want to compete against the best and compete for trophies. And so when I think about Scotty Scheffler, who's staying on the PGA Tour, and then I think of you know Phil Mickelson, whom I pulled for for years and years and years, and all the money that Phil Mickelson has made on and off the golf course, and yet he still makes a decision based on still more money. You know, Jack and Arnie and, and the guys and gals on the LPGA Tour also who built this game, they just played for more than themselves. And I, I think golf is different and – Live to me is one of those things in life that you know, probably should be allowed. It should be legal, but still not done. And, you know, people may be sitting there shaking their head. How can you say something should be legal and allowed, but still not done? Well, there are thousands of things in life that are legal and allowed and we still shouldn't do them. Allow it, but don't participate in it. That's kind of my take on live. And that's coming from somebody who watches amateur golf on television. I watch the NCAA women's. I watch the NCAA men's. I watch LPGA tournaments. I watch corn Ferry tournaments. I watch it all. So part of me wants to see more golf. But when you are guaranteed to make five times what a teacher makes in a year by coming in dead last in a golf tournament, I just, I don't know. Golf is different and um, I don't want players losing money. I, that, that That's a very bad business model. 
On the other hand, I don't think that you should be a guaranteed, you know, what Mickelson last time I checked was 30 something over par. I think he may have been last in scoring and live tournaments. Well, I could come in last. You, I mean, go let me play in the live tournaments. I'll come in last. And he's made a ton of money coming in last. I don't know. It just it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Golf is different. It's it's not like other sports, and I hope it stays that way. Well, thank you so much, Trey, and thank you, Travis, for your question. Our next question is from Jenny in Georgia. She writes, I'm so confused with all that's happening with Trump and the FBI and cash. Can you explain it so I can understand it better? I don't know, Jenny. I mean, I, I need somebody to explain it to me, probably, um, but I'll take a crack at it. Uh, so if I got the question right, what's happening with Trump, the bureau and cash? Well, the first thing to do is to separate them. Uh, my issue with what happened to cash Patel is the FBI and DOJ cash Patel, by the way, for those that don't know cash, uh, he was a former DOJ prosecutor and then a former uh, federal public defender. I met him when he came to work for the house intelligence committee. He worked for chairman Nunes and the committee as a whole. And of course I was assigned to conduct certain interviews and cash, um, was, um, probably the lead, uh, investigative attorney on that committee. And that's where I got to know him and I've stayed in contact with him and kind of followed him as he went to various places within the administration and, and still in contact with him. So, um, I like him. Um, so I confess that bias up front, but my issue with what happened to him is the FBI and DOJ left his name unredacted in the search warrant affidavit that was recently released. Now, as you recall, the FBI and DOJ didn't want any part of that affidavit released. No part of it. They didn't even want to do it with redactions. So their number one position is this is too sensitive to show any of it. And then the judge said, well, I'm not going for that. You got to you know, propose redactions. And they wanted to propose redactions to protect witnesses, which is eminently reasonable. That's exactly what should be done. Witnesses should not be harassed. They should not be threatened. But they left his name unredacted. They published the affidavit and left his name unredacted. And what I do know that others maybe don't know is there have been elements within the department and the bureau that haven't liked cash for years. They didn't like him when he was at House Intel. They didn't like him when he was at the White House. They don't like him now. Like anyone can treat their friends or those you know we like with respect and fairness. Anyone can do that. It doesn't take anything to treat someone you like with fairness. The challenge is, can you treat those with whom you disagree with fairness? And apparently they cannot. So it was a petty juvenile thing to do to leave. If cash is a fact witness, he's a fact witness, period. If he's done nothing wrong, more power to him. If he did something wrong, which I, I haven't seen what that would be, but if he did, let the system play out. But don't treat him unfairly because you don't like him. So, um, and, and, and his name was used in the affidavit in connection with the with a newspaper article. And I, I just remain fascinated that the world's most sophisticated law enforcement agency has to quote newspaper articles to support their position. I mean, they did it in 2016 with a FISA application. They did it with this infamous spreadsheet, which no one listening to me has seen, but I have seen it. 
It was that spreadsheet where they tried to corroborate the various aspects of the Steele dossier. And they get this spreadsheet with a factual assertion in the Steele dossier and then their efforts to corroborate the truthfulness of that assertion. And if you look at the spreadsheet, it's just a bunch of newspaper articles. So, I mean, that's not public. It probably never will be public. But using newspaper articles to support allegations when you're allegedly the world's premier law enforcement agency, it's just pretty lame to me. So now for the facts, after Richard Nixon, the law tells us presidential records belong to us, not to the person holding the office. Letters from foreign leaders, emails, correspondence from other presidents. You know, presidents leave notes for one another when they when they leave office, et cetera, et cetera, they belong to us. And you may like that. You may not like that, but that's the law. And again, you have to follow the law, even if you don't like it. So the allegation is that when President Trump left office, he did not return uh, the records that belong to us uh, under the Presidential Records Act, that he did, not, he, he did not comply with the provisions of that act. He took things that belong to the American people. That's the allegation. So National Archives, who was kind of the record keeper for the country, asked for the records back. And there was talk and negotiations and time passed and boxes were returned. And then two things happened when some of the boxes were returned. National Archives saw classified material in those boxes and they alerted the FBI. That's number one. Number two, National Archives still didn't think they had it all. So they kept asking. They kept negotiating. Uh, they went to Florida and got some documents, but it still wasn't what they thought or believed or had evidence was everything. And so you still have this separate issue of classified information, but you have to bifurcate those issues in your mind. The records, you know, the argument is the records belong to the American people, regardless of whether they're classified or not. They're, they're presidential records. They belong to us. That's issue number one. The separate issue is the handling of classified information. So it's best that we not conflate those two. So a subpoena was used and a subpoena is issued by a, a grand jury typically. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a request, it's a formal legal request to produce something. And so they use that. They also went down there in person and said, look, we don't think we have everything. And so I guess here is where the archives, where the FBI or maybe both believe that there was an intent on the former president's behalf or his legal team to conceal or obstruct. They believe that they had proof that despite assurances to the contrary, all the records and all the classified material, keep the, again, keep those separate, but all of both had not been returned. So they sought a search warrant, and that search warrant has to be approved um, by a judge, and it was based on probable cause. So the records are more than just classified documents, and the argument is the records belong to the people regardless of classification. Then you have the completely separate issue which is the handling of that classified information. So that's where we are. And all of it, uh, unfortunately, is unfolding against a backdrop of an FBI sullied by the Peter Strzok's of the world. You know, Jim Comey's disdain for Trump, Andy McCabe's disdain for Trump. The belief 
by a lot of Americans that a double standard exists. And double standards don't mean something criminal or wrong didn't take place. It doesn't mean that. Double standard means you just have a hard time convincing your fellow citizens that what you are doing is just, right, or fair. That's the nature of bias or the belief that others have been treated unfairly. And so when I began this podcast uh, years ago now, you know, Fox has never told me what to say or what not to say. And they certainly didn't for my opening podcast. I see you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. And the number one thing I wanted to talk about was fairness. Mm-hmm. And so I started with that, the perception of being treated unfairly and what that does to people. And I am sorry to say that I was right. Mm-hmm. You know, we were told, you know, by the media, for the most part, that even though Peter Strzok was biased, he was still OK to investigate. And we've been told more recently that even though a senior FBI agent was biased, he was still the right person to close an investigation into Hunter Biden. Bias and unfairness are so damaging uh, in the eyes of some that it overrules cold, hard facts. That's not true with me, but it is true with others. And until people are able to get their head around uh, why I'll analogize. This is sure to make everybody upset, but I don't care anymore. Mm. So people, you know, protest some peaceful, some not their belief that the criminal justice system is flawed. We saw that for um, at least one summer. And we've seen other instances of it. People disagree with the police action. They disagree with a court decision. They protest, which they have a right to do, but you don't have a right to riot or hurt other people's stuff or hurt other people. Well, I think um, there is that same frustration in the other half of the country as it relates to federal law enforcement. These were state and local cops that people thought it was a good idea to, you know, protest in some instances, violently protest against their actions. This is federal law enforcement and, You got to understand there is frustration on the other side because of things that have happened over the past six years. Again, it it doesn't mean that something wrong didn't happen. It didn't doesn't mean that a crime didn't take place. It just means you're going to have a really hard time convincing people that the results going to be fair if the process wasn't fair. So to sum it all up, it's possible that Trump violated the records act. It's, possible. In fact, there's probable cause that kept classified material, failed to return it, et cetera, et cetera. It's not only possible, there's probable cause, at least according to a magistrate. But the people doing the investigating have lost the presumption of validity. And that happened years ago. And it's a terrible place for our country to be. But that is where we are. Thank you for breaking that down for us, Trey. And thank you, Jenny, for your question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Our last question is from Chad, and he writes, you had Shane Beamer on. What about Dabo Sweeney? Uh, yeah, well, it's not just Chad. It's probably a couple of million people. Uh, yes, I was going to say that a lot of people have wanted to know the answer to this yeah, question. Yeah, well, no, trust me, I've heard from every one of them. Uh, I'm sure you have. In fact, I'm going I'm to read 
I'll, I'll read one text to you that I got. What in the world were you thinking? That may have been the dumbest thing you have ever done, having the head football coach at the University of South Carolina on and not having the head football coach at Clemson University on. Uh, mm-hmm. P.S. Stop by our house when you're on the way to the grocery store. Your father and I would love to see you. Love, Mom. <laughs> oh, no. So that's one I got. And then another one I got was you are an idiot which by the way if you're going to call somebody an idiot you should spell the word idiot correctly because it is a very poor look when somebody says you're an idiot but they misspell the word idiot that is just (laughs) that is not a good look all right here's the deal I have known Davos Winnie longer than I have known Shane Beamer I've actually never met Shane Beamer in person never Mm -hmm. met him talked to him on television Talked to him on the phone, had him on the podcast, text with him. Think he's a wonderful human being. Very grateful that he uh, comes on the show. Very grateful that he's been on the podcast. I have known Coach Sweeney longer. Uh, We spoke together at an event when I was still in the house. I've been a huge fan of his Ever since then, in fact, I think on this podcast, I, I've I've given the reasons that I'm a huge fan of his. Mm-hmm. He tracked down Connor Shaw after a football game to congratulate him. He went into the opposing locker room when I think it was Syracuse that beat Clemson in an upset to congratulate them. He just does things that um that are just really, really nice. And mm-hmm. I've been to a Clemson practice. I had lunch with Coach Sweeney, I, his son is a is a presidential historian nut. His, his son knows more about the history of the presidency than, you know, certainly more than the U.S. senator I was eating lunch with uh, uh, with Dabo with or me. So I have invited Coach Dabo Sweeney on television and podcast. He has a standing invitation to come on. And after I had Shane on and after, you know, I got, well, I quit counting at a million, but after I got a million texts saying, when are you going to have Coach Winnie on? Why haven't you had Coach Winnie on? I texted him and said, look, they're killing me. They're killing me. You got to come on. He's going to come on at some point. This is a really busy, hectic time for football coaches, uh, which I get. Um, It's also, look, I mean, They have to do X amount of media. I don't think they're going looking for a whole lot more, but he's a wonderful human being and I am a huge fan of his and he has a standing invitation and he knows that. And I have communicated that to him in person directly. Anytime he ever wants to come on and talk about his team or one of his players or something wonderful that's happening. I know he's heavily involved in, in charitable work, uh, which is where I first met him. So to all of my Clemson friends and family members, I got both. I got family members that are Clemson supporters. I love Dabo. I love them both. I'm not saying I pull for Carolina and Clemson equally because that'd be a lie. But in terms of respect for the two football coaches, he has a standing invitation. I'd love to have him on. Um, and he knows that. And when it's the right time and a good time for him, uh, he will come on. But it, it is not due to a lack of me asking or me trying. So for all my Clemson fans, 
keep texting me, keep emailing me. If you call, just call before midnight. I mean, don't call at two in the morning to, to complain about me not having Dabo on it. I mean, at least call before midnight. And if you're going to call me an idiot, like my brother-in-law did in a text who went to Clemson, you got to spell idiot right. I mean, you just have to. Well, thank you, Trey, for answering that question. Like I said, a lot of listeners have wanted to know the answer. Yeah, right. And now we know the answer, which is I have tried. Right. And there's an open invitation. So he knows it. Yeah, I'm Mm -hmm. not going to read the text from him because I don't do that. But he knows full well, and I understand and know full well uh, where his priorities are right now. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to have him on whenever it is the right time for him. And I think he's a fantastic human being. That said, I cannot make someone come on. So <laughs> the invitation's been extended. All of my Clemson friends and family members, you're welcome to keep texting me and asking me, but I've tried. <laughs> well, our fingers are crossed. Hopefully it will happen one of these days. Uh, it, it, it's going to have to happen. Or they're going <laughs> to run me out of the state. Well, we'll hope for the best. He's a wonderful human being. And, and uh, both of those guys are exactly what you would want you know, a family member to be involved with. So mm. we're lucky in South Carolina. I'm sure there are other coaches too. I just, I don't know them. Like uh, I haven't talked to them. Like I've talked to those two. So be that as it may, that's my little effort at preserving um, some, you know, data on my cell phone. And uh, and not having my voicemail filled up and not having my wife stopped at the grocery store to ask, when's your husband going to have Coach Sweeney on the show? That's the answer. I've tried. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, Chad, for your question. We appreciate all your questions that you all send in, and we hope that you'll keep sending them our way. Yeah, we do. And we will see you next Thursday. And by the time we get back together, College football season will have begun and Mm. all will be right with the world, I hope. That's great news. All righty, y'all take care. Have a good week. Bye-bye. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.